So we're working through the five purposes of church. As the Bible describes what is the purposes of church, we said there were five main ones that the theologians have identified, and we call it the type five. Uh, and we'll go back to the other one, thanks, um, Ian. So evangelism, edification, the two locks, social concern, and koinonia, the props, and worship is the hooker. And we had our photo of our five wonderful men there, um, the tight five. And so we're up to the second lock, which is edification. Edification. Edification means uh, spiritual development, spiritual progress. And it's not just teaching, but it does include teaching. Um, when I was a teacher, I say, uh, when I was a teacher, I loved the paperwork, I just hated the kids. But <laughs> when I was a teacher, I used to sometimes, particularly in mass, I would do a pre-test and a post-test. And so you, all teachers are nodding, so you do a pre-test, you find out how much they know, and then you teach a little heart out, and then often in, with a 10-week term, you know, five weeks, you do a post-test. And most of the time, you know, pre-test, teach, they, they, they learn, and then they you do the post-test, they, they know a bit more. They get more in their post-test. Occasionally, to my dismay, after incredible five weeks of incredible teaching from me, they had got worse. And they now, after five weeks of me teaching them multiplication or something, they now knew less than when they began. <laughs> so, so I became a pastor. <laughs> so uh, teaching is part of edification. But by itself, teaching is not a big enough word to describe biblical edification. Edification is bigger than teaching. You know, teaching can end up being a whole lot of noise, but progress has, has not been made. Uh, biblical edification is not about information, it's about transformation. Transformation of people. Spiritual growth of people. Spiritual development of people. And edification is one of our locks of the tight five in the scrum. 16 all last night. That's, that was fair. Um, goes with evangelism and very linked to the tight head prop too of, of koinonia, of fellowship. So out of 27 books in the New Testament, 26 deal, at least in part, with false teaching or false teachers. And the exception is um, Philemon, Philemon, however you want to say that. You know, false teaching and false teachers was what scared the early church leaders the most. And at first, they were petrified of false teaching. They didn't care about persecution. They took it on. They didn't care about the possibility of death. They took it on. They didn't care about poverty. They endured poverty. What scared them 
was false teaching and false teachers. They knew that could destroy the church. And edification is important. Knowing what is true, what is right, allowing God to develop us, to to spiritually develop us, that is so important. Big. It's really big. Last thing Jesus said, Matthew 28. Go into the world and make disciples, baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go into the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and I will be with you forever. Vineyard. Vineyard, the movement of churches that we are a part of, they say their goal, their vision is this, be, to be disciples and to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're about, to be disciples and to make disciples of Jesus. So we're going to talk about five oohs of edification. Say ooh for me, please. Ooh. Again, ooh. Not bad. So five oohs of edification. The first ooh is Christological. Christological. And Christological is the the flesh word meaning the work and nature of Jesus Christ. It's it's all about Jesus, really. If that's too big for you, just say it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. And yeah, Jesus is the foundation, but what about the rest of the Bible? Good question. And that is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 17, He says this, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And the word there, fulfill, the sense there in the original language is like um, air blowing into a balloon. I'm just going to show you something. My kids have there it is. So it's like both of these are balloons. And Jesus is saying, what I've done is that I've come to blow air into the balloon. And again, uh, at the end of Luke, Luke 24, 27, post-resurrection, Jesus comes across two disciples on the road. And um, it says that he, he says to them, he taught um, how Moses and the prophets spoke about himself. And he spoke to them and he said, all of this refers to me. It's it's the air going into the balloon. That's how we're to see the Old Testament. Um, And so we have have the danger, there's twin dangers of sort of rejecting the Old Testament outright um, or ignoring the breath that Jesus blows into the Old Testament. You know, there's a, there's a newish cult around, but it's not actually that new. A lot of the cults, a lot of the false teaching is actually old stuff that has done the circle. You ever notice that? And that's why we, you know, church history is really important because, man, it's like education philosophy. They just go around in a circle and, oh, we're up to that again. And there's one around at the moment, and it's going back to sort of Judaizing. So getting really um, concentrated on the Old Testament laws and stuff. And it's making a comeback. 
But you know, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the rescuer. He's the one who blows air into the balloon. And I met one of these guys in the bank the other day, and he called himself a believer, but uh, he said, oh, you know, we, uh, we just sort of concentrate on the Old Testament and Jewish traditions. And, oh, yeah, mate, there's no way, there's no way I'm coming around to your place to play because you've got no air in your balloon. <laughs> Uh, Matthew 7, 24 to 29. If we can throw that up, please. Yeah. Matthew 7, 24, 29. says this, Therefore, Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the torrents raged, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on, a, on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the torrents raged, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its collapse. The authority of Jesus. But when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as their scribes. See, the faith, our faith is built on the words and the person and the spirit of Jesus. This is a concrete foundation which our faith is built. We hear the word of the Lord and we put it into practice, as, as Jason was talking about. We put it into practice. We walk into it. This is a base. This is a foundation. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an extremely important difference between uh, saying what the Word of God means to me and what the Word of God means for me. What the Word of God means to me is what the Word of God means to my neighbor. But what the Word of God means for me is the application of that. And, and um, I loved what Dan was talking about last week and the way he did the, um, the post notes and that how we express social concern is how the Holy Spirit speaks to us about how we're to put that into application. Edification is not about information, it's about transformation. Transformation. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the rich man, sell everything and give it to the poor. Luke 18. Luke 19, Jesus meets Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus comes down from the tree, and Zacchaeus says, I want to give half my wealth to the poor. And Jesus does not say, well, actually, I told the other guy to give everything, so you're going to have to give everything. When Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of everything to the poor, Jesus says, cool. What's for dinner? Edification is Christological. It's all about Jesus. That's the first all. Second all, edification, spiritual growth, comes in ways that are often informal. So it's Christological. It's all about Jesus. Often it comes in ways that are informal. Godly friends, Sam and Debbie, uh, family, Dreams, visions, experiences, the prophetic. 
Uh, I remember in my early 20s being really um, struck by the words of Jesus, Luke 14. It says, when you have a party, don't just invite your friends and family that are going to pay you back. I thought, yeah. I think, it's coming up to my birthday. I'm going to invite people that are not going to pay me back. And we had this youth club of all these at-risk youth. They used to come around our house and steal our clothes and eat our food. I'm going to... I'm going to invite them to my party. And so I did. The trouble is I, I, I didn't have any money. I had about $100 in my bank. That was it. I was a student. Um, there's no student loans then. My allowance um, didn't come, in, come until about a week. Anyway, so I really felt this is what God was saying. Invite people that, that won't invite you back. So I took out all the money I had in the bank. It was about 100 bucks and uh, bought all the food, had, invited all the guys, and had this party. About a day or two later, I got a check for $100. And, um, and I learned informally that when God speaks something, he provides. He provides. God, God provides. Our edification comes informally comes Christologically, it's all about Jesus, and it comes formally, formally. You know, things like sermons, things like regularly gathering in church, cherish that gift. Uh, things like systematically going through the Bible personally or together with, with others, you know, Bible courses or Bible college. You know, edification comes in informal ways, but also formal ways. Don't despise that. You know, that's part of it as well. I remember when I was 23, I think, at Teachers College. I just had this I was a relatively new believer. I had this thirst to, to know the Bible. I had no car. I was playing rugby. Um, we had this course at church, ran for two years. It was learn the Bible in two years. And every Thursday night, which was a tr- trouble because uh, rugby practice was Tuesdays, Thursdays. Had no car. But what I did, what I was doing was I would um, finish rugby slightly early. The, where we were having the course, our church had no building, was at Salvation Army. I would finish rugby practice slightly early and I would run to Salvation Army for the Bible college, for the Bible course, learn the Bible. And um, I just want to say, if you're you're listening, it was 1989, if you were in that course and I was one of you other people sitting, I sat next to you coming from rugby practice, I just want to say I'm really sorry. Uh, but I was a young man with a semi-formed brain. I wasn't really thinking about others. I was only thinking about myself. But um, formally, you know, don't despise learning formally of God teaching us formally. That's part of the deal. Acts chapter 2. The early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Uh, Edification comes Christologically, informally, formally, also, at times, painfully, painfully. 
Edification, you know, spiritual formation, spiritual development comes through pain. John 15, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He, this God, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, but listen to this, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Even if you're bearing fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Even if you're bearing fruit, he prunes, so that you will become even more fruitful. That is the gift of pain. <laughs> it's one of the way God develops us to edification too. And pruning is painful. Pruning is painful. Show the photo, please. This is Craig Grishel uh, from Life Covenant Church, United States. It is the largest Protestant church as of January 2019. In, in the United States. I'm going to tell you how he got started. I'm going to read to you how he got started as a Christian leader. This is one of the best books we read on our sabbatical last year called Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth. Craig Grishel. Over the course of, a, of the next... So he started the church... Over the course, as a young man, over the course of the next dozen or so months, God started to do a deep work in my soul. It wasn't a work resulting from time in his word or time in prayer. It was a work stemming from pain, heartache, disappointment, and betrayal. So much of the pain we experienced as a church could have been spared if I'd been a better leader. But at the young age of 28, I specialized in making easy things more difficult. For starters, I panicked and hired staff members like I shouldn't have hired. Within a year, I had to replace almost every staff member I brought on, along with most of our key volunteers. If you have ever fired anyone, you know the pain of looking into the eyes of someone you care about and telling them that they can no longer be employed. I can't even remember how many tears I shed and how often I couldn't hold my dinner down because of the agony involved with removing people I loved from their ministry roles. Another great blow came right after we launched our new small group ministry. With just over 100 people coming to our church, we were thrilled to start some groups to help people grow spiritually and develop deeper relationships with one another. One particular group exploded with growth to 30 or more people each week. The leader was a close friend of mine, but our theology differed in one important area. I asked him not to teach on that subject, but he continued to teach on that topic every week after week. Because I believed what he was teaching was dangerous, I pleaded with him to stop. He, uh, he shocked me by saying he'd just take his group and start his own church. We weren't even one year old and experienced what resembled a church split. People chose sides. Many people got caught in the crossfire. And our small startup church hit an unexpected landmine that left me reeling. Losing the people that helped us start the church was a big blow. Losing the friendship was even more difficult. But nothing compares to losing my mentor in ministry. To 
to respect the family, I won't go into the details. There are parts of this story that no one knows but my friend, my wife, and me. And we will keep it that way as long as we live. My mentor and my best friend was the most amazing, uh, one of the most amazing men of God I knew. Unfortunately, he struggled with depression and he was tormented by the sins from his past. When I had to confront my hero over something he needed to deal with, the encounter went sour. After exploding at me, he charged out of the room and said things I'm sure he wished he hadn't said. I assumed we'd have a chance to iron things out, but that chance never came. His wife called me days later in sheer panic, explaining that she found her husband dead, hanging from a rope, tied around a beam in his garage. A few days later, burdened by things I could never reveal about his struggles, I officiated the funeral of my best friend and mentor. That event changed my life forever. The promise that God would break me was true. I started out confident, bold, full of faith. One year into our church plant, I wondered how much longer I could continue. If leading a church was always going to be this difficult, I didn't know if I had what it took to be a pastor. So, that was his first year as a pastor. Pain. You know, edification. God grows us in, in formal ways, in formal, in formal ways, and in painful ways. This final thing, the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men out in the wops, Jesus saw them, says he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd, didn't seem to have much food. And so Jesus began to, what? Jesus began to, out in the wops, 5,000 of them, what did Jesus do? Mark 6.34, Jesus began to, he had great compassion, this, teach them, Many things. Teach them many things. Always hungry people. And he did feed them, but they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so the great compassion of Jesus included him teaching them many things. Edification. The great compassion of Jesus. Like sheep without a shepherd. Great compassion of Jesus, so he taught them many things. Full of love. Jesus taught them. And the way, whatever way that God is teaching you, whether it's informal, formal, painful, and this is the last, ooh, I just want you to, to grab this, that, that edification is part of the wonderful grace of God. You know, it has a bit of a bad, bad taste to it these days, bad name these days, edification, you know, it's like back then. But it's actually a wonderful, beautiful, full of compassion thing that God does to us as his sheep 
that he, he develops us spiritually. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to keep developing us. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. The edification of God is full of grace. Unmerited generosity of God. Amen. Amen. 